Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where each week we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association are the only organisation dedicated to protecting and defending the rights of landowners and rural businesses. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, hello and welcome to episode two of series two of the Rural Business Uncovered podcast brought to you by the CLA. Now, the topic for discussion today is how can businesses tap into the staycation trend? We're still not entirely sure what the situation will be with foreign travel this year, so staycations are very much set to be the trend. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, when the lockdown rules were lifted for a while last summer, campsites and holiday cottages all across the UK saw record book. But will we see the same again? How can businesses capitalise on the opportunities and what other diversified activities could become popular over the coming months? Well, here to help us answer these questions, we're joined by Charles Trotman, Senior Business Advisor with the CLA and Robin Isherwood, who runs her own events company and is also the founder of the UK's first ever social distancing festival at Gisborne Park Estate. And we'll be hearing more about that in just a moment. But first, Charles, I know you've joined us on several of these podcasts, but for those listeners who uh, perhaps haven't caught up with all our previous episodes yet, uh, perhaps you can share with us the type of work you do w- with the CLA. Thanks, Sam. I'm uh, Dr. Charles Trotman. I'm Senior Economist and Rural Business Advisor uh, for the Country Land and Business Association, or CLA. I've been with the CLA for about 20 years, and I'm responsible for the way we develop economic policy and a number of different uh, economic areas and how we actually present those and lobby those to government. And, of course, uh, I advise our members on a number of different topics. So depending on what's topical, at the particular time, I tend to be involved. And I'm sure you've had a very busy year over the past 12 months with all the the pandemic restrictions affecting businesses. And I'm sure we'll come on to some of the the latest developments there in just a moment. But Robin, if I can bring you in, welcome. Uh, Tell us a bit more about your background and some of the exciting projects that you're involved with. So, hi, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, So my background, I've been doing events for the last um, 12 years, based in London, traveling the world for high net worth clients and corporates. Um, I'm also director of weddings at Gisborne Park Estate. And during lockdown, um, my entire business stopped and um, the weddings at the estate were canceled. So I decided to come up with the first social distance festival in the UK, which was quite fun. So we did 12 weeks over summer, um, eight events a week, then a drive-in fireworks night, and then a social distance Santa's Grotto, a drive-in pantomime and a social distance Christmas market. So we made the best out of a very bad situation for the business um, and we actually ended up having quite a lot of fun along the way. 
It it sounds exciting, and I'm so I'm sure there was a lot of challenges uh, along the way, and we'll come to to talk a bit more about exactly what you did last summer at at the estate. But but tell us a bit more about Gisborne Park. It's a very special place, isn't it? Yeah, it's incredible. It's um, seven thousand acres in the northwest in Lancashire. Um, beautiful, beautiful venue owned by Guy and Amber Hindley. Um, it's got a holiday park which sleeps 220 people on the park, so a mixture of cottages, lodges, and a glamping village. Um, and then we've got our beautiful wedding venue, which is set within 10 acres in the valley, which is actually where I did the festival in the end, and um, which has got a, a bridal house and it's perfect for marquee setup and teepees. And then we also have a restaurant on site, Hindalini's. So it's a little hubbub of um, hospitality. And it's just, it's a really great place for people to come for the weekends. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite devastating for the business being closed for eight to nine months of the year. So, so faced with all those challenges and, and huge parts of the business affected by the pandemic, you got together to, with the estate owners to, to sort of bounce ideas off each other. What could you do in the current circumstances, which led to that first ever social distancing festival? T- tell us a bit more about that. So it was actually, you know, if you if we all think back to lockdown one, it was glorious weather. Um, and we were in the estate just kind of figuring out and on Zoom calls doing um, virtual Zoom show rounds. And it was, it, we're just kind of looking at the, the, the wedding venue and thinking there's got to be something to do here. And I was actually working with my dad at the time, not working, I say that very loosely, but my dad has a line marking robot um, and um, he did a, um, a a letter to his rugby club on his pitch in Clitheroe um, for the NHS. And it was beautiful. And it was thanking the NHS from the Clitheroe Rugby Club. And I had it drone shot. And then I took over his social media because I moved home for lockdown, which my parents were delighted about at the age of 31. Um, and then that went viral. And so I was kind of helping him out with his little robot and writing, writing an NHS on the Clitheroe, uh, oh, sorry, on Manchester United pitch and Liverpool. And um, then I found out about these different functions on it. And one of them was a car park function. And so then that started to get me thinking, you know, how could we basically use the grid formation from the robot to essentially create a car park in, a, in the wedding venue that you could then social distance from. That then developed into um, hexagons because they fit they, they fitted nicer together and then it, you've got the six sides. I then designed the hexagons. They were two meters width each um, and each. So essentially, if you were if you sat yourself on each corner of the hexagon, you were, you were social distancing within, within your hexagon and then the hexagon was two to 2.4 meters distance um, apart from each other. So you were always socially distanced. And then it kind of ran quite quickly from there. I, I, I kind of came up with the concept and we launched and we, we planned and launched within four weeks. And then I remember getting that first headline of the UK's first social distance festi- festival. And I was kind of a bit like, oh dear, what have I done? I've never done a festival before, but okay, let's run with it. And we did. Uh, and these hexagons, so I've seen pictures of them online, actually, and it's really, really striking the, the drone images that, that you've got. So t- t- tell us a bit more. So within each hexagon was was a bubble, was a family, and and then different groups of people had their own hexagon for the day or for the night or for the, for the length of the festival. How did it work? So we, we, we basically ran it um, just before we, we, we launched on the 12th of July and at, just before that, the restrictions were no household mixing. 
So the idea of the two meter edges was that you you could socially distance. And then about a week before we launched, it was six, you could mix up to six people outdoors. So we then became the only place that you could essentially come and socialize with your friends in a safe and secure, in a safe and secure venue. Um, so we, although it was a festival, we had a range of events. So Wednesday nights and Thursday nights were film nights. So classic films um, shown on the big screen. Uh, Wednesday daytime and Saturday daytime, we did a family show, which was hugely popular. It was a Disney sing-along with all the greatest hits and a bit of um, Greatest Showman and yeah, TikTok dances and all sorts of things. And then um, Friday night was a kind of entertainment evening. So the greatest the greatest evening or a Queen tri- tribute or we did um, a Beatle Orchestra. And then Saturday night was the DJ night. And we managed to get some of the biggest DJs um, in the UK because they were available. They'd, they'd had their entire calendar cancelled. And so I set a cap for the, for the DJs and it was mind-blowing the type of artists that we got. And then the Sunday we did um, a pub, pub in Gisborne Park. And yeah, it was, it, we, we managed to create a, a range of events for everybody. So you came with your bubble of six, whether it be your family, whether it be your friends. I then actually introduced some two-person hexagons because people wanted to come for date nights and date days. And it was there was either a daytime ticket or, a, or an evening ticket. And you stayed in your hexagon. And the only reason that you left your hexagon was to use the loo. You waved a flag um, to, and then the waiter came over and took your orders. And then your food and your drink were delivered to your hexagon. So it was a very civilized festival. And Charles, if I can bring you in here, how unique is is something like this? You know, it would be very easy, I'm sure, for a lot of business owners to to think it's almost too difficult, too hard to organise something within the, the very strict re- restrictions that that have been in place now for so long. But you know, there were opportunities. How impressed are you by by what Gisborne managed to achieve last summer? Well, I think what Robin's done is is certainly unique. I've never heard of it before. But what it what it does illustrate is that if you think outside the box or in this case, the Hexkin, you can actually um, create the opportunities that you need. You know, we recognize that lockdown, you know, the various lockdowns that we had, and we're now on lockdown 3.0. Um, it's important to find the opportunities and to think laterally, think outside, outside the box um, and exploit the opportunities which are there because uh, it's going to be very, very important as businesses are able to reopen again and hopefully, uh, once we come out of this lockdown, it will be the last one. They're going to need a period of stability. They're going to need a period of adjustment, more than they probably ever had before. And it's it's trying to look into other areas, look into other kind of income streams. That is the way that they will be able to stabilize their business, along with running the business uh, as they would normally do so. So I think Robin's example is, a, is an exemplar for what can happen uh, in the situation that we're in at the moment. And we hear time and time again of businesses who've had to pivot, who've had to diversify on the back of some sometimes a crisis or a really difficult situation. And some some of those innovations, some of those new activities suddenly become a part of the corporation. And I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll ask Robin whether some of those ideas will, will continue going forward into the future. But before we do that, um, Charles, can you bring us up to date with the latest developments? You mentioned we're in lockdown 3.0. Your hope and our our collective hope is that will be the last lockdown we we face. But what is now the roadmap going forward? Well, I think it's important if we start with the the actual context 
of the pandemic. So obviously we know that COVID-19 has affected every single aspect of the economy and certainly the rural economy. Uh, and we know that certain sectors, if you look at uh, rural tourism and hospitality, have been particularly badly hit. And if you, given the fact that I'm an economist and part of my day job is to look at figures, if we were to look at the actual consumer spend for tourism in 2019, it's as much as £92 billion over that period. If we look, however, at, at tourism spend in 2020, rural tourism businesses will actually lose over £40 billion. So we're talking very, very big figures here. And as we've moved forward and as science has moved forward, the government's now got itself into a position where we can have a second roadmap. And the Prime Minister announced this, as we know, on the 22nd of February. And Boris Johnson made it very, very clear that the roadmap is based on date on data, not dates. And it's based on the science and the direction of the virus and how the country, how everybody can contain um, the actual transmission of the virus. You know, if you think of, of roadmaps, a roadmap's pretty pointless without dates. So obviously we, we have them. But as far as certainly the tourism sector is concerned, the first critical date is the 12th of April. And that's when non-essential retail shops or retail outlets can reopen, but also self-catering accommodation and camping and glamping sites will also be able to reopen. But there are certain restrictions that have been put in place to allow those to reopen, irrespective of the fact that if you look at camping and glamping sites, for example, it's all outdoors. Um, there, there are still restrictions, and those restrictions have actually been eased um, according to the latest government guidance. So that's from the 12th of April. Next step or next phase is the 17th of May, and that will mean that other forms of tourism activity, bed and breakfast, hotels, attractions, will also be able to reopen. And it also means that uh, for the hospitality sector, it means that indoor events can now be can now be held. There will still be capacity issues, but it does mean that essentially you're moving from the outside to the inside. And then we come to phase four, the final phase from 21st of June this year, restrictions on social contact uh, will be removed. And I think it's important to look at those dates and remember that that is the earliest possible time that businesses and activities will be able to actually reopen and um, start up again. And I think it's also important to stress uh, to, to listeners that if a business wishes to reopen, they've got to comply with the COVID-19 secure guidelines. Now, these include having a full risk assessment of the business in place, as well as plans as to how that business will communicate with their staff and how visitors, which are absolutely obviously crucial to tourism destinations, how they can remain uh, safe. Another point to make on this is that we have to recognise that guidance changes very, very quickly. And we've seen we've seen this in the past. And we certainly saw it um, at the end of the first lockdown back in June, July last year. I think th this time it's, it's different because we've got the vaccination programme in place. And we know, looking at the data, that that's been effective. All the data so far is pointing in the right direction. So the number of people in hospital with COVID-19 is going down. It's going down on a daily basis. 
the number of deaths are going down, the rate of daily cases is also falling. And look at and that key R number that tracks the rate of transmission seems to have stabilized to between 0.6 and 0.9. So certainly at the moment, the roadmap is going in the right direction. Uh, and that's really positive news. And we've all got to understand, of course, these dates are subject to, to, the, to the virus going in the right direction, that is. And clearly public health has to come first. But g- given that this gives business owners a degree, a degree of clarity now of, of when things can happen and the earliest they can happen, what's your advice to them? What do they need to do now in that intervening time? You mentioned guidance. Is it get ready for, for, for that potential opening, whether or not it happens, is that the best thing for them to do now? I think one of the advantages in the sense that tourism businesses have got now compared to uh, June, July last year is that they've actually gone through the process before. And it's very likely that the guidance that the government issues to allow these businesses to reopen will be very, very similar. I think the only issue that we've found that may be it's not actually going to be different or be in addition to that guidance is how businesses test their staff. And we know that the government's made a big push on getting businesses now, irrespective of how many employees they actually have, have on their books, actually getting those businesses to test on a regular basis, uh, the people who work for them so that when when the business reopens, it is safe to, re- to reopen. The risk assessment is clear and has been essentially signed off by the local authority and that everything is ready for the visitor to come along and for the visitor, as well as the local community, to know that that business is safe. And that is absolutely crucial because this is why the government, this roadmap, is so cautious. It's to make sure that we don't repeat the same you could say mistakes or have the same issues as we did last year. Because what we don't want to see is going back to a situation where we allow everything to reopen again, that businesses are able to reopen, and suddenly we have a a spike um, in the virus, in the transmission of the virus, cases go, case numbers go up again, and we're back into lockdown. And again, I I think there's there's a major difference here between what we're seeing in this country and what we're actually seeing in Europe. Um, and I know we'll, we'll come onto that later on in the podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
The Country Land and Business Association have been safeguarding the interests of landowners and rural businesses since 1907. We lobby government continually on behalf of our members to give them the security and certainty to invest in their land and business. Our in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and rural business management to ensure the positive development of the rural economy. Yeah, and Robin, if I can bring you back in there, you know, um, Charles has mentioned about getting ready for, for, for the coming season. And I'm sure with the benefit of all the work you did last year, does that put you in a good position? Are, are you planning to do a lot of the similar events, those pop-up events at, at the estate once again? Yeah, it's a funny one. Um, so obviously last year was a weird time for everybody in the events industry because everything was cancelled. Um, whereas, you know, as you say, we're getting prepared. So We've got last year's weddings and this year's weddings um, to cram in from the 20, 21st of June, essentially. So from that June weekend, that first June weekend, we're sold out every single weekend for weddings all the way through to October. So we're doing a Maybank holiday weekender, which is the last weekend in May. And we're kind of cramming our favorites from the entire series into one big weekend. So we're just doing one weekender and... Um, and then, and then we've got to prep, prep all the land ready for our weddings to come back, um, which is quite an exciting concept because it's been so long since we've had one. I'm sure it's going to it's going to be strange, but but equally exciting as as well to to see them return. But I'm sure as a business as a, as an estate, you have to work with a lot of other businesses, other suppliers. And I'm sure last summer was devastating to, to a lot of people involved in the event industry, whether you're tented suppliers, toilet providers, catering companies, and, and so forth. How have they managed it from your experience in dealing with those that, that worked with you last summer and going into this coming season? Have they weathered the storm and, and you know, are, are they still going to survive and going to be able to support businesses going forward? No, I think, you know, for me in London, the supplier, the supplier chain has been absolutely devastated. Some of the biggest event suppliers um, from production to catering have gone under. Um, and I've seen so many of my friends lose their businesses and, um, it's really, really devastated quite a lot, especially more so the companies that actually hold stock. So whether you, you know, like a big production company that is just sitting on dead money for an entire year. Um, yes, they might get rent relief, but a lot of the um, actual kit is all on lease because each year they get new kit in and they pay it off over the years. So then it's, it's, it's been, it's been terrible. So actually, for us to even have provided the amount of jobs that we did for an entire summer and then Christmas, you know, during a, a tier, you know, we were in Lancashire lockdown and then tier three. Um, and across the board from security to staffing to loo attendants, loo companies, the production, the caterers, the just everything. Um, I think that was the biggest achievement for us in terms of trying to keep our industry afloat which is it's, it's been hard yeah i know the pandemic has forced you to consider new diversified new diversified events and activities do you think you will continue with them if it wasn't for the pandemic would you still would have done some of these pop-up events no i i honestly i would never have done the pop-up event i wouldn't have had the time to even have had the brain power 
I would have been running around the world and at Gisborne doing events here, there and everywhere. So I am taking only positives from this lockdown because for the first time in 12 years, I, I actually stopped. And it's crazy how creative, you know, I'm sure so many of the events industry can be when they actually are given the chance to stop. Um, so no, I would never have normally have come up with the concept, but off the back of it, it's something that I will continue to do because the biggest feedback that we actually got from it was, you know, outside of the pandemic, can you keep it? Because actually this BIP festival com- concept is really great. <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 the age group that we have coming to the pop-up is, is the age group where they don't want to go and stand in a festival of 30,000 people and queue at the bar for two hours. They would quite like an area of six people on sofas and have their bottle of champagne brought over to them. It's quite civilised. <laughs> It's that exclusive feeling, isn't it? So, so you certainly tapped into to something that's really going to grow. I feel. Uh, and Charles, if I can just come back to you quickly on the on on, on that point of which we touched upon right at the beginning, that this pent up demand that's potentially going to be this summer again. We've we've had months and months and months of lockdown now, and and we we know how last summer was when restrictions were lifted and and bookings were were, were going crazy. Do you expect the same thing to happen this year? I think it's important to re- to remember that. Uh, just before we were able to reopen, we thought there was going to be pent-up demand, but we are, we aren't actually sure there was going to be pent-up demand. Um, so, and because obviously we didn't know how people were, were actually going to behave at the time. And I think, as I said before, I think last year g- gives us uh, a clear case study of what what would happen, and all the indicators and all the data points to there being probably more pent-up demands than there was. Uh, last year now that when you add in other factors such as what's happening in europe at the moment and the travel restrictions that the government's uh, put in place i think that will actually mean that more and more people will actually want to stay in the uk will want to have staycations here rather than going uh, abroad and that's clearly clearly going to be a positive and the indicators that we're seeing we're seeing increased bookings for uh, a number of different uh, types of uh, tourism activity, campsites, for example, apparently they've actually, their bookings have gone through the roof. Um, and that's a good example. And, and in a sense, we welcome what the government has said about what's called temporary structures. It allows um, a farmer, for example, to establish a pop-up campsite, but it can only do so for 28 days during a year. Government's now doubled that to 56 days a year in order to be able to meet demand and i think also if we've got this situation with significant pent-up demand the government's decision to again reduce um vat on tourism accommodation and, and attractions from 20 percent to five percent that clearly that will um help businesses but i think there, there is uh, a slight concern that we've got with this obviously we all want increased demand because that underpins how the sector will work in the future. Um, But we we noticed some very unusual, very interesting uh, data and analysis to come out from one of the booking uh, websites was that if 1% to 2% of people who normally go on a foreign holiday, let's say to Greece, Spain, Portugal, uh, whatever, weren't actually able to go abroad, but decided, okay, I've got the money. Um, what I'll do is I'll have my holiday in, in the UK. I'll stay Kate. Um, that would actually, that 1% to 2% uh, 
coming back to the UK actually leads to a 5 to 10% increase in demand in the domestic market. And the issue that we've got here that we're, we're likely to face is that, or rather it's the question, do, does the sector actually have the capacity to meet that demand? And we saw last year with the pent-up level of demand that it was causing problems for a number of tourism operators. And clearly, as I said, one of the concerns we have is that it's highly likely we're going to see a repeat of that. And I think businesses need to be able to mitigate against that. Um, it's not a case that this gives a business carte blanche to double or quadruple the prices that um, they offer for holidays to to uh, those uh, holidaying in this country. That isn't the case because that will actually do more damage uh, in the in the medium to long term than it would do, make, you know, in a sense, making a quick buck. It means that the actual offer from the tourism business tourism business. Uh, and the tourism operator to the visitor has to be very tailored. Um, the visitor is there for a reason uh, to get away from things, and particularly now, and that behave and we've, we've seen that behaviour already. It's important for a tourism business to be able to actually gauge the market properly, not exploit the market in terms of, you know, substantial uh, price hikes, but actually make sure that they put in place a kind of platform so that they can actually move forward progressively in the future. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point you make there about capacity. Do you think that might encourage more pop-up style accommodation options, glamping and such like? Do you think so? there's going to be some people out there who's going to, perhaps existing site owners, they're going to expand to try and increase the capacity as opposed to increasing prices, um, or potentially there might be new players on the market? I think, I think this actually, it does both. I think it, it allows existing let's say camp campsite operators for example if they have the space to actually expand their business because they know that uh, they'll be able to get the people in and this this comes back what a very important point here relates back to the roadmap as i said before these businesses have to meet covid19 secure guidelines as of the 21st of june if everything goes according to plan this whole problem of capacity which was a major limiting factor last time around will be significantly reduced. So it will be possible for businesses to expand and to increase their own capacity. But it will also allow others entrance into, into the marketplace. What we don't want to see is saturation because we've, we've seen this in the past. And what tends to happen is, is that businesses who haven't thought about how they're going to provide a tourism offer actually go out of business. So that's the last thing that we want to see. Uh, is this year going to be a, a one-off? The expectation is clearly there's going to be a huge amount of demand for, for staycations. But as soon as foreign travel becomes easy again, will people be jetting off uh, You know, and probably going back to their pre-COVID travel arrangements and, and holiday plans? Well, I think, I think it's important to actually look into the history of staycations in Britain. Um, I think everybody's got to remember or know that uh, having a holiday in this country is not something new. It's an, the idea; of, it's the other way around. It's the idea of foreign package holiday that really only took off in the 1970s and 1980s with, you know, as you just said, with cheap deals, with cheap flights. Um, and we know that that did have a negative impact on on the domestic holiday. But in terms of the economics, in terms of the you know the financials of this, the actual economic impact wasn't wasn't that great but it, the idea of staycation you know the, the word or the term staycation 
actually only took off really after the economic recession of 2008-2009. And we've already done some some analysis of of that period from 2009 just before uh, COVID-19. So we have a 10-year period that we can look at. Um, and it's an on, it's an ongoing upward trend year on year. Now, we thought that that trend would probably, it will plateau out probably during the mid to, to late 2020s and probably we might see a slight decline in, in the next decade, you know, early, early 2030s. Um, but we don't see that now because of, of COVID. We, we think that the, the whole concept of staycation will remain part of um, the holiday makers consciousness we think it's going to be uh, a valuable part of the holiday uh, experience and again if we look at people's behaviors it, it's a case that and we've got this i've got a very good example of this where somebody told me um, they knew someone who would normally travel to have their holiday in, in the caribbean in the west indies and barbados i think it was and of course, last year they weren't able to do it, so they went off to Devon. Actually, managed to save save some money and had two marvelous weeks in Devon. And you naturally assume, okay, they've got the money uh, for this year. Uh, if possible, they'll jut off, and you know they'll go back to what they did before. They'll jet off back to the West Indies and have their two weeks in Barbados. No, what they're actually going to do is they're going to go back to the same place in Devon as they were last year. And I think this is a really important point to make, particularly for tourism businesses themselves, is that they've got to recognize that many things as a result of the pandemic have changed. And I think it's not just a case of businesses doing things on their own anymore. I think there is a major role for government to play on this. I've I've mentioned the VAT reduction or the temporary reduction is a major step forward. But it's a temporary reduction. If we want to make this stick, if we want to see the benefits from this in the future, both in the medium and long term, then that VAT reduction has to be permanent. And Robin, what do you think? Do you agree there with Charles that the staycation trend is here to stay? Yes, I do, actually. Um, and, you know, I, I've planned trips for high net worth clients for the past five years around the world and you know, the budgets that they would spend on these very lavish trips. Now, there is still going to be the need and the requirement for those type of trips and people will still go. But I do think that this is the whole pandemic and the lockdown has, it's regrounded everybody in the UK. And I think the appreciation of the UK has come back. Um, I think people are going back to what they did as a child, you know, camping trips and, back to nature, this whole back to nature thing, because I've never done so much walking in my life, but to catch up with my friends, I'm going for walks in Wandsworth Common or Clapham Common or Barnes, or if I'm up in, if I'm working up in the North, then around here. And that's now become a sociable thing, which I also think will stay. And that kind of, it's all encompassing that. So the glamping, glamping is, is, is quite a sheeshy thing to do now. And it's, it's a great thing for couples to do or for families. We did family glamping. Um, so we built the glamping village um, for the festival because they were our glamping tents that we, we, we have 10 glamping tents for our wedding guests. And we usually put them down exactly where the stage was actually by the river um, for 
for weddings. So then you can have your closest friends literally glamping next to the house by the teepees and it makes it feel a bit like a, uh, a festival. Um, we then decided to make that more into a permanent thing. And thanks to the 56 days, brilliant. It was then possible. And the, the emails that we have got before we, we announced that we were doing it again, is it happening? When can we book in? We want to come back. And I, I really feel like people are going to, they're going to appreciate time. They're going to appreciate the family more and they're going to appreciate weekends away. So yes, maybe the, the big two week, the two week holiday might still be there abroad, but the Maybank holidays, the Easter's that it will be this kind of exploring of England and back to nature and very much kind of the staycation thing is, is, is definitely going to be there. Yeah. We've seen it in, in several different circumstances, whether our relationship with food has changed on the back of COVID. People are, are uh, recognizing and appreciating local supply chains in the same way people have found uh, new areas to explore and, and found a, a love for the British countryside. But, but from, from a holidaying um, perspective, Robin, and, you know, looking at what are the key trends and what attracts people, are, are people looking for an experience as well as accommodation? You, Clearly, they want good quality when they go somewhere, but but all the various activities that you've created on, on the estate that adds to the experience holiday. I think so. And I think, you know, that that when you go on these abroad holidays, there's, there's always your kind of activities. As soon as you land, you tick off, you sit in that first kind of meeting and you go, right, well, are we doing a boat trip? Are we doing this? And the, the activities and the things to do are so important because it's not just a holiday for the kids or for, you know, it's a holiday for the parents as well. So to keep the children engaged as possible um, and the adults just to, people want to do something. Everyone's been sat inside for a year, sat in front of a screen and everyone wants to be given an opportunity to, to do anything. And I think that's, especially with the festival, because we did such a range you know, we created such a range of, of events that were suitable for all ages. It was just quite magical seeing, you know, quite old people at the same event, like the Mamma Mia event that we did last year for the bank holiday. It was a Mamma Mia themed day. It was Greek themed food. We gave ribbons out to all of the all of the attendees. It was gorgeous weather, which definitely helped. But we had we had old pe older people and little little young kids, and then you kind of 40 to 50, 60 year olds that were singing to the top of their lungs to ABBA. And it was this kind of freedom that everybody felt that they were out and they were listening to music and they were enjoying themselves and there was just something to do. So I definitely think, you know, if anyone is thinking of doing, diversifying their, their current hotel or business or holiday park and adding in these extra areas of glamping, if they've got the land and they've got the, they've got the money to do so, you know, think of the different activities that we can do, whether it's a bike trail, whether it's a, a treasure hunt around the, a, an estate or a hotel or just something that gives the parents a little bit of a relief. So then, you know, they can book themselves into it because people have money. You know, at the moment, we proved it last year. We weren't a cheap ticket price because, you know, don't be fooled. Putting on a social distance event, my gosh, is is hard work and it costs it costs money. But people have the money because they haven't been going to the theater. They haven't been going to a, a theme park or even just to the, to the restaurant with a family for a, a Saturday night dinner. 
that hasn't happened. So there is all of this money that people want to spend on their children, on their families, on on themselves to do anything. So if 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 businesses can just think outside of the box and it goes back to the thinking outside of the box and ways of creating these memories and and it can be so simple and people will engage and people will want to get involved. I think what it does do also, it, it illustrates that it actually brings communities together. I think if anything, COVID-19 has actually shown not only the fact that businesses need to be resilient, but families and communities need to be resilient. And these are the opportunities which will now um, be seen and which can be can be uh, provided for or uh, offered to communities will be taken up because, as Robin said, the money is actually there. I don't think money is is really the issue. Um, but it will be it will bring together a far greater sense of community. Yeah, and that leads me on very nicely to, to, to the final question that we can ask of both of you, uh, Charles and Robin, uh, towards the, the end as we wrap up this podcast. And that is, you know, have there been any redeeming features that are from COVID? What, what, what's, what good has come out of it? We understand clearly there's, there's a lot of pain being caused by this pandemic, pandemic. but what are the, the good business outcomes that, that have emerged? If I can ask you, Charles, first and, and, and then over to Robin. Well, I think what, we, what we've tried to illustrate and try to highlight through this podcast is that yes we know that there are businesses which have struggled and there are a lot of businesses which will continue to struggle and there are businesses as robin said that have unfortunately not survived the pandemic Um, but what it also does it shows that a lot of businesses are resilient and it shows that those businesses will examine the potential to diversify that you know they'll look at different options see what's possible and they'll they'll actually reassess their own businesses you could be talking about changes in business plans the possibility of expanding that business as robin's just said looking outside the box and whether other opportunities uh, may be available and i think it's important to to actually ask uh, these kind of questions and to challenge what the existing business model is and then you know, just to, you know, my final comment would be, I think in a sense what COVID-19 has actually taught us, and I think it will continue to teach us, is that businesses have to be uh, flexible, they've got to be resilient, and they've always got to look forward. Um, We're going to see a process of hopefully expand, or, you know, a a time of boom within rural tourism will be extremely unfortunate is if we weren't able to carry that on through uh, into the future. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I completely agree with everything that Charles has said. I think yes, you know, there's no, there's no doubt in that COVID nineteen is is being hard for everybody. I think businesses, mentally, everything. But I'm, I'm a, ever the optimist, and actually, like I have thoroughly enjoyed for myself having the time to stop reset rethink you know at the at the estate we've we've managed to pivot so many things with there's been a whole whole new renovation of the lodges and we would never have found the time to do that so i think one of the key things that has come out of this is you know the value of time and we've all had time whether it be renovating your own house or doing the gardening or spending quality time with family and i think because of that i think everybody has 
slowed down the pace of life. And it's funny, just before the pandemic, I think London, I felt like London was in a bubble that was literally about to burst because it was a constant hamster wheel of getting the next pitch, the next job, the next client, the next this, da, 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 da. And then it just went pop. And I think it's for the best. And I think because of this, because of the time that people have had, it's brought families closer. You know, this whole Zoom conferencing, we do family quizzes on Zoom. We've been doing them every Friday night. Now, I would never speak to my entire family every Friday night. But the plans that we're now making to kind of have the reunion of the Zoom, whether it's a staycation, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's something, I think, I think the positives out of this is that if it, like Charles said, if you've managed to keep your business and you are, you are still stable, you know, just dig deep. We're so close to the end now. And if you can, if you can remain to be there at the end of this, the business is there, the, the, the opportunities are there. And I think it's about ensuring that you're, you're 10 steps ahead and you are ready for that opening. You've put, you've put any ounce of money that you've got left into titivating, creating, adapting, adding, so then you can really reap the rewards of what will come um, off the back of the worst year for our industry. Well, Robin and Charles, can I thank you both for joining us on the podcast? It's been absolutely fascinating. I've enjoyed listening to you both and hearing about the various activities that you've been up to and, and Charles as well in terms of the or the insight that you can give in terms of trends and the data. It's been really, really interesting. And I'm sure our listeners have, have gained a lot fr- from this episode. And for me, the, the two key words I think that's come out of it, that's flexibility and creativity. If you've got the flexibility and the if you're agile as a business to react to the changing circumstances, that's key, but also the creativity then of thinking of new ideas and and the combination of those two will will put you in good stead well thank you very much both uh, and yes it's been brilliant having you on this podcast thanks so much guys it's a pleasure thank you very much very very helpful very useful if you're not a member of the CLA you can join today more information can be found on our website www.cla.org.uk thank you for listening and I hope you can join us again soon You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.